Hey, what's up, everybody? This is DJ Martin. I'm the church pastor at Parker Ford Church. Welcome to our ongoing midweek teaching series on the character of God. This series, we are doing it in collaboration with North Point Community Church and Daybreak Community Church. So you'll be hearing from some of their leaders and pastors in the coming weeks. Uh, I kind of put this series together, so I'm taking the first several weeks. And in this series, we're talking about the character and attributes of God. We're seeking to answer two big questions. Who is God, based on what the scriptures reveal? And how does he act in the world? Two weeks ago, we started this series with just some basic definitions of theology. And then last week, we got into the first attribute of God, which we're going to cover which is God is actually incomprehensible. So even though he's revealed himself through the person of Jesus, and even though he's revealed the character traits and attributes uh, through the scriptures, like his love and his justice and his righteousness and, and his eternality and, and all of these wonderful things about him, he's also uh, mysterious. And because he's the creator of everything, because he's outside and transcends the boundaries of time and space and matter and, uh, and reality, like we know it, he can't be boxed in. He can't be fully understood, even though he can be known in the ways that he's revealed himself. And so that's where we started in this series. And today we're going to tackle another really difficult doctrine. We're going to be tackling the Trinity. Before we get into today's teaching on the Trinity, this is the quote that's kind of setting the stage for us throughout this series. It comes from A.W. Tozer's classic work, the knowledge of the holy, uh, in which he writes about different attributes of God. And right towards the beginning of the book, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, because it shapes the way that we live. It shapes the way that we react and that we relate to other people and to God. It, it gives direction to our lives. And so our prayer, as we engage different attributes and character traits of God throughout the series is that we as the people of God would have our minds uh, shaped more fully and more deeply um, in the knowledge of who he is, that he will continue to define himself in our lives, that we can live according uh, to his will and, and his desire. <clears throat> so today we are talking about the Trinity. God is both three and he is one, Father, Son, and Spirit which begs the questions, how is this possible and why does it matter? So speaking about the Trinity, talking about the Trinity is notoriously difficult, let alone teaching about the Trinity. So I'm going to take a little bit more time than I typically do. I try to keep these teachings usually to about 10 minutes. I'll go a little bit over that time today so as not to rush too much. I mean, we could spend hours talking about any of these character traits, let alone the doctrine of the Trinity. So I'm just going to take a few extra minutes today, not too long, and I'm going to quote uh, fairly extensively from a few places, um, most extensively from C.S. Lewis's chapter on the Trinity in Mere Christianity, which is just an excellent, excellent chapter in that fantastic book. The big idea uh, for today's teaching is that God is three in one. God has chosen to reveal himself through three primary forms of personal self-revelation. God is Father, God is Son, and God is Spirit. To know God is to know him as Father, Son, and Spirit. To know God as Father, Son, and Spirit is to enter the incomprehensible mystery of God, which is why we started the series 
uh, with with that character trait that God is incomprehensible. But even though He is both mysterious and incomprehensible in the fact that he can't be boxed in, yet he has revealed himself to us as the Father, as the Spirit, and the Son. And so to know God as Father, Spirit, and Son is to enter the incomprehensible mystery of God and to begin to grasp the character and nature of God through his self-revelation. A little bit later in the Knowledge of the Holy on the chapter on the Trinity, Tozer writes to meditate on the three persons of the Godhead. To meditate on the Trinity is to walk in thought through the garden eastward in Eden and to tread on holy ground. It's really important how we think about God. It's really important how we meditate and think on the Trinity. But it's a difficult doctrine. And this can be acknowledged honestly in Miller Erickson's excellent uh, book, Christian Theology, which is a, uh, a textbook I had in seminary, and I returned to it from time to time. It's my favorite uh, doctrinal book that I have to reference. In it, he writes about the Trinity. It appears that Tertullian, that's a, one of the church fathers who wrote about the Trinity, it, it appears that Tertullian was right in affirming that the doctrine of the Trinity must be divinely revealed, not humanly constructed. It is so absurd from a human standpoint that no one would have invented it. We do not hold the doctrine of the Trinity because it is self-evident or logically cogent. We hold it because God has revealed that this is what he is like. In other words, we believe in the Trinity as followers of Jesus because this is what Jesus has revealed through the Bible, that he is Father, Spirit, and Son. Erickson goes on to say, as someone has said of this doctrine, Try to explain it and you'll lose your mind, but try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. So the Trinity, even though it's a difficult doctrine, is an important doctrine. Various uh, forms of analogies have been used by Christians throughout, throughout church history to try to explain the Trinity. Perhaps you've heard some of them. Some of the popular ones that I heard as a kid were, you know, God is like an egg. <clears throat> There's a shell there's uh, the egg white and there's the yolk. It's three things all in one. Or maybe you've heard, you know, the Trinity is like, is like water. It can be a solid, a liquid, or a gas. Three different forms that are one thing. And while these analogies can be helpful in sort of exploring the beginning of ways to think about the doctrine of tr uh, the Trinity, if, if you press them too hard, in fact, if you press them uh, at really any length at all, they begin to fall apart um, because we're trying to take physical things that we understand in the material world to describe the oneness and the triune nature of God. Every physical analogy that we have um, is, once it's pressed, it's, it's going to fail us pretty soon. But there are ways to think about the Trinity, I think, that are really helpful. And, and the egg analogy or the water analogy. They're not bad analogies, especially when we're just sort of beginning to explore these doctrines. But there are other ways to think about the Trinity as well. One is this famous painting. Uh, this is by the Russian painter Rublev. This is probably the most famous church icon to come out of the, the Russian Orthodox Church. It was painted in the 15th century, and it's called Trinity. 
It's a depiction of the three angels that visited Abraham and feasted with him. And you can see that they represent father, son, and spirit. And in the icon, they're each looking at both of the other. And so the spirit is looking at both the father and son. The son is looking at both the father uh, and spirit and so on and so forth. They're all looking towards one another. And it's depicting the towardness of God towards himself. The father is always towards the son and the son is always towards the spirit and the spirit is always towards the father. The spirit is always towards the son. The son is always towards the father and so on and so forth. Every combination of the three uh, godheads are in perfect relationship with one another. A theological term that's been used to describe this is perichoresis. Early Christians used this Greek term to describe the dance between the Trinity. If you look at the word perichoresis, you see uh, the, the root word for choreography, choris, um, choreography. And so perichoresis is a Greek term uh, that means the dance. It's a, it's a Greek term. This is a quote from uh, theopedia.com, which is, uh, defines theological terms. Uh, their article on perichoresis. It's a Greek term used to describe the triune relationship between each person of the Godhead. It can be defined as co-indwelling, co-inerring, and mutual interpenetration. Alistair McGrath writes that it allows the individuality of the persons to be maintained. In other words, the Father is the Father, the Son is the Son, the Spirit is the, the Spirit. Um, so it allows the individuality of the persons to be maintained while insisting that each person shares in the life of the other two. An image often used to express this idea is that of a community of being in which each person, while maintaining its distinct identity, distinctive identity, penetrates the others and is penetrated by them. This is a way that Theologian Alexander uh, McGrath describes the theological idea, the doctrine of perichoresis, that the, the spirit of God, the father, uh, the son, they are in a constant relational dance with one another. Uh, they're constantly communicating. They're constantly relationally towards one another. The Trinity describes, it's a doctrine that describes God's relational nature. The Trinity points towards the communal, loving, relational character of God. He is always in perfect relationship and connection, perichoresis, with himself. Think about some of the, the phrases that we uh, see this revealed in the scriptures. Right at the beginning of the story, God says, let us make mankind in our image. God doesn't say, let me make mankind in my image. He says, let us make mankind in our image. Who's he speaking to? It's the Trinity in conversations, Father, Son, and Spirit, and Spirit in conversation with one another. Let us make mankind in our image, God says, of his creation of humanity. Or think about some of the phrases that Jesus used, like, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, says Jesus of his relationship with the Father. Or when Jesus says, the Father is sending the Spirit, Jesus tells his disciples to encourage them to remain steadfast in him. So the Trinity is, is a doctrinal description. It's trying to describe this communal uh, dance between the persons of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as he's revealed himself throughout the scriptures. In uh, Mere Christianity, uh, C.S. Lewis writes about the Trinity, and he uses, he uses the analogy of dimensions. And so he says, on a one-dimensional plane, a single line 
is all that there can be. Then a two-dimensional plane, you can have angles of, of sorts. You can have two lines combined at different directions. It's, it's only on the th in a three-dimensional plane, a three-dimensional world where you can have lines that form squares that form uh, cubes, six squares added together um, that, that make a cube. And he uses this analogy to describe the dimension that mankind, humanity lives on versus the dimension that God exists in and how the Trinity can be possible and how it can be possible that God is both one and three at the same time. So picking up from this analogy, um, he writes, now the Christian account of God involves just the same principle. The human level is a simple and rather empty level. On the human level, one person is one being, and two persons are two separate beings. Just as in two dimensions, say on a flat sheet of paper, one square is one figure, and any two squares are two separate figures. On the divine level, you still find personalities, but there you find them combined in new ways which we who do not live on that level cannot imagine. In God's dimension, so to speak, you find a being who is three persons while remaining one being, just as a cube is six squares while remaining one cube. Of course, we cannot fully conceive a being who is like that, just as if we were so made that we perceived only two dimensions in space, we could never properly imagine a cube. You may ask, if we cannot imagine a three-personal being, what is the good of talking about it? Well, there isn't any good talking about him. The thing that matters is being actually drawn into that three-personal life. And that may begin anytime tonight, if you like. Okay, if uh, this is a lot of information, a lot of great quotes and interesting thoughts in today's teaching, but if you only get one thing out of it, I hope it's the next two paragraphs of what Lewis writes. So listen carefully to this about how the triune God interacts with us, how this takes place in our actual lives. So Lewis goes on to write, what I mean is this, an ordinary simple Christian kneels down to say his prayers. He is trying to get in touch with God. But if he is a Christian, he knows that what is prompting him to pray is also God, God, so to speak, inside him. But he also knows that all his real knowledge of God comes through Christ, the man who was God, that Christ is standing beside him, helping him to pray, praying for him. You see what is happening. God is the thing to which he is praying, the goal he is trying to reach. God is also the thing inside him which is pushing him on, the motive power. God is also the road or bridge along which he is being pushed to that goal, so that the whole threefold life of the three-personal being is actually going on in that ordinary little bedroom where an ordinary man is saying his prayers. The man is being caught up into the higher kinds of life, what I call zoe, or spiritual life. He is being pulled into God by God, while still remaining himself. That is how theology started. People already knew about God in a vague way. Then came a man who claimed to be God, and yet he was not the sort of man you could dismiss as a lunatic. He made them believe him. They met him again after they had seen him killed. And then after they had been formed into a little society or community, they found God somehow inside them as well, directing them, making them able to do things they could not do before. And when they worked it all out, they found they had arrived at the Christian definition of the three personal gods. In the scriptures, uh, 
there, especially in the New Testament, the Trinity, uh, the word Trinity is never used in the New Testament. That's a later theological definition uh, that was uh, brought onto uh, the scriptures to describe the nature of, of the three personal being revealed in the scriptures. But that doesn't mean that the Trinity isn't there. In fact, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all mentioned many, many times throughout the New Testament. Uh, sometimes alone, there are verses just about the Father, just about the Son, or just about the Spirit. Sometimes two of them are mentioned in a verse, and there are uh, quite a few places where all three of them are mentioned together. One example of this comes from 2 Corinthians 13, 14, where the Apostle Paul says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so in that one simple statement, we not only see the Father, Son, and Spirit all mentioned, we see them uh, carrying out their specific relational uh, ways of relating to us, Jesus extending grace to us as the Messiah, God extending love to us as the creator of all, and the Holy Spirit enabling fellowship among us as he dwells within us individually and communally. So Paul doesn't use the term Trinity here, but he's describing what we have come uh, to define the Trinity as the Father, Son, and Spirit in relationship, perichoresis, a dance with one another, and in relationship with the people of God, prompting us to pray, teaching us to pray, indwelling our prayers, standing beside us, and, and leading us as we pray. And so even in our bedrooms when we pray, we see the Trinity at work. All right, that was a lot of uh, information. I hope, it, I hope it wasn't overwhelming. And so I wanna leave us with kind of three practical questions to work through in your own life. So as you think about God as three and one, um, how would you define it? What analogies do you find helpful? How is God both three and one? Did Lewis's, C.S. Lewis's example in Mere Christianity of prayer help illustrate how the simple act of prayer engages the whole Trinity? And how might the Lord be inviting you today to grow in knowledge and intimacy with each member of the Trinity? Maybe another way to think about this is imagine yourself at the table with the three angels or with the Father, Son, and Spirit, Abraham's feast. Imagine yourself in the, at that table interacting with all three members in the perichoresis, the dance of God. How is the Lord inviting you to engage him and each member of the Trinity, the fullness of God today? All right, these things are worth wrestling through, even though they're difficult to understand how we think about God, what comes into our minds in many ways is the most important thing about us. And so I hope and pray that today's teaching is an encouragement to you. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you have a great day. Go with God and be blessed.